Wait, so are you saying that Club Penguin wasn't supposed to, like, blow up? Like, Lance has said this before. He didn't know how successful it would be. He knew it would be successful. But could we imagine that it would be as successful as it was? No, not a chance. Ariel, and you're listening to Never Have I Ever, a podcast about experiences I never had. Welcome to episode 5 of this podcast series. So if you're just joining us, feel free to subscribe as new episodes come out each week. This is part 3 of the Club Penguin case study, as this week I'm here to tell you that Never Have I Ever worked in my dream job. So before my current route to become a journalist, my childhood dream was to work for Club Penguin in Canada. For those who are unaware, Club Penguin is a popular MMORPG where you waddle around, meet your friends as a penguin. It was acquired by Disney back in 2007. So yeah, my goal was to work for that gaming company. I even had a plan. I would study IT, work for Half Brick or Hipster Whale, so the guys who made Fruit Ninja or Crossy Roads in their Australian gaming companies. Then after a few years of domestic work experience, I'd migrate to Canada, live with my aunt, do some local jobs there, then finally move to Kelowna. Yeah, it's long, but I was willing to do it. So much so that my dad was telling me to aim high and try to make it to UNSW's IT course, which had an ATAR entry rank within the 90s range because it weighed more. But as somewhat mentioned back in episode 1 of this podcast, the events that unfolded in my high school made me change my path. But even if I did stick around, Club Penguin as a franchise ended the moment I graduated from university. So either way, that dream has shut down. But even with the franchise gone, I would still like to know what it's like working there. We do get some snippets online from former staff members on social media, but I would like to know more from start to finish. So joining me is Chris Glidden, also known as Polo Field Online. He's the former community manager of Club Penguin, and he joins me today as he'll be sharing me his full story on what it's like to work for Club Penguin. I chose him out of all people because he has a journalism background right before working in the gaming industry, which gives me so much hope because I know that somewhere in another life, I would have been able to work in my dream job with my current credentials. Is there a reason why you call it Penguin, not Club Penguin? Ah, shorter. Ah. (laughs) I mean, internally, like within the office, we would just say, oh, Penguin, you know, the thing we love about Penguin. And we we just, I don't know why we just shortened it to that. It was just, I don't know, Penguin. It was more specific. It was shorter than saying Club Penguin. It's really interesting that you're now working in IT, where according to your blog and some statements you shared on social media, you used to be a music journalist before you worked for Club Penguin. What was life like when you were a journalist? Basically, music journalism was my passion. Like, just journalism in general, just the idea of, of telling stories. Like, I, I've always been a big fan of capturing history and telling stories with it. So in my mind, I just went into journalism 
as an investigative journalist. In fact, like when I was interviewing Chris Heatherly when we were doing the New Horizons documentary with Penguin, you know, he said to me, he's like, sheesh, I didn't realize you're going to be such an investigative journalist. And I was like, no, that's exactly what I am, Chris. Like, that's totally me. Yeah, music journalism was was just such a no-brainer because I would I was always a sort of I was a slacker in school, but still got A's in English, still being a slacker. So writing was something that I could do. It was something I was kind of capable of. <clears throat> so the the mix of the two things just made sense. So I just started submitting work. And when, when you're a journalist, you end up doing a lot of pro bono work, which is free work, right? Mm-hmm. So I was doing a bunch of free work to begin with. And yeah, I would just submit pitches and I'd pitch stories and say, oh, I can I can do this. And then eventually I'd start getting you know, six to eight albums every two weeks. And I was just getting flooded with music to review all the time. But it wasn't my day job because I had two kids and I had to feed them, right? So I wasn't paying the bills with music journalism. So how did you end up working for Club Penguin? Yeah, so it's it's kind of a bizarre story. Like at the, at the time, you know, when, when Penguin was launching, so 2005, 2004, uh, those years when Penguin Chat 3 and Penguin Chat 2 was becoming Penguin Chat 3, or sorry, Club Penguin, I was working as an accountant. And so that was how I was paying the bills. But I was miserable. I just did not enjoy it at all. I'm just far too, you know, I'm just too creative, I guess, for better or for worse. I don't know that I'm the most talented, creative person in the world or anything. But, you know, I just, I was miserable. And so, you know, eventually I just, I just broke down. I was like, I'm just so tired. I just can't do this anymore. I just... You know, I, I knew enough was enough when I had to sort of run through spreadsheets and I'd have to reconcile accounts and then down to the penny. Anyone who knows about accounting, if you have a, a one cent difference between this spreadsheet and that spreadsheet, you have to do the work all over again. And I just <laughs> remember it was one reconciliation too long and suddenly I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. So I quit. I just straight up quit. I didn't have any plan whatsoever i just went i'm gonna quit i'm gonna have faith and i'm just gonna go i wish i could work in like cartoons or video games or something like interesting like that i wish i could work on the web and do websites or video games i don't know i I have no idea how i would ever do that in this town but whatever i'll just do that so i quit and right around that time my eldest daughter was hanging around with another kid and that guy's mom was working at club penguin She'd previously, like, we'd known her for years, and she was working previously at Starbucks, and then she had flipped over and became a team leader at the on the Club Penguin team. So she's like, oh, you should you should apply to this Club Penguin thing. We're growing like crazy, da-da-da. I was like, Club Penguin? What? What is that? And I remember like, logging on for the first time, and I I logged on, I said some things, and I, I, I tried to type, and I don't know if I said something, and it didn't go through, but nobody responded to me. I just went, okay, and I logged off. That was kind of my first experience, and I, I was like, okay, well, whatever, I'll apply. Why not? I'm not doing anything else. Got to make some money, so sure, I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. Wow. Well, I just said I applied, and you know, I got an interview, and then went in to go for the interview. I had the interview with Nate Sawatsky, who's Gizmo, and Gizmo emails me, and he's like, all right, this is awesome. Uh, you're hired. Can you start on this date? And I remember saying to him, I was like, I was just flaky. I just said, well... You know, I was supposed to interview John Lennon's son, or no, I was going down to uh, review him at a concert. So I was going to a Sean Lennon show to review the show. I was like, oh, well, I can't start then. How about I start later? Like, I just, oh, man, I, it, I'm, 
when you talk about luck, I probably shouldn't have got the job. I was just it's so flippant about it. I just lucked out. I was very, very lucky. It was at a point in time where they just they just needed people who were like good people to join the team to come and help respond to customers, right? Respond to parents, respond to players. So yeah, I got in. That's really interesting, and it's really also interesting that you know the the team leader because I remember watching Lane Merrifield's TED talk, and he talked about how their team leader was someone from Starbucks. And so I set out to find someone who could kind of help lead a team and and uh, and make sure that we are properly taking care of this community. But rather than go the traditional route of finding some sort of recruiter and hiring in some executive or some expert from another tech company. Uh, we decided again go, thing, go do things a little bit differently, and so instead uh, I decided to look for this individual at a company that had provided me with consistent, high-quality customer service every single morning. Starbucks. You knew that person personally before Club Penguin, so that is just wow, damn connections. Well, it's it's a really bizarre world. Like one of the things that I, I love about Club Penguin is it's really, it just feels kind of homegrown. I remember when Tech 70 came to Kelowna and both Emma and I individually kind of introduced her to the idea of actually you couldn't have made Club Penguin anywhere else. It's There's just something about Kelowna and this small town in the middle of essentially nowhere in Canada. It's a little town. Like, it's it's odd, it's quirky, it has all these sort of personality flaws, and all of that just ends up in Club Penguin, really. So, I just want to know, what is your everyday workday like when you're working for Club Penguin? I know you were, like, a community manager, you worked on the blogs, I think you controlled some of the mascots at one point. How was that like? What is, like, an everyday workday for you? Well, it's, you know, so that's a, that's a complicated question because, so you think about it, I was there for eight, nine years, right? And so I did pretty much every single possible job you could do on the team. So I started right at the, on the floor, night shift, and they're like, hang on, this guy can write reasonably well. Hey, maybe we should, you know, maybe you could come up to the day team. I was like, okay. So then I changed from nights and went up to the day team. And then it was about a month after that. And then they're like, hey, maybe you could come over into the billing team. I was like, okay. So then I went over to the billing team, and I was like, just as long as I don't have to answer the phones, guys, because, you know, I, I used to do that many, many years ago. I, you know, if I don't have to anymore, that'd be cool. But they're like, yeah, yeah, no problem, Chris. You don't have to answer the phone. I was like, okay. And about a month after that, they're like, hey, Chris, can you answer this phone? I was like, okay, fine, I'll answer the phone. And then I'm answering the phone, and about a month after that, they're like, hey, Chris, there's the, uh, the, the supervisor isn't here. Can you take this escalated call? I was like, okay. So then I started taking escalated calls, even though I wasn't the supervisor. And I was like, hang on, I think I feel like I've been duped into, <laughs> tricked into doing support phone calls. And then the, a spot came up on the development team. And I was just like, of course, I said, I want to work in video games. I want to work, I want to make stuff. So the idea of getting onto the dev team, of course, would, you know, just, just like you, it'd be like, that's the dream, right? Just like any fan's dream. So like, excellent, I'll apply to be in QA. I mean, like, okay, well, we're, what we're looking for is somebody to QA the, the story, the text, edit it. I was like, I can do that. Here you go. Here's my application. So I joined the team on QA, and then basically a month later, then the Disney acquisition happened. Uh, then I started doing archives. So I, honestly, this is complicated because I've done a little bit of everything. Yeah. And then they kind of came down to, Chris, do you want to be a writer? Or Because I was doing a little bit of both. I was split between 
okay, do you want to catalog and organize the team's content? Or do you want to be creating content, Chris? And I was like, well, you know, when it came down to that, I was like, the decision was, you know, personally, I was like, I want to create content. That's that's what I love doing, right? Yeah. So yeah, that's why I gave up archives and I, I became the manager of the editorial team. But then the community manager thing came up. That was my pitch. I just said, hey, like, you know, what, what we were doing as an editorial team before was we had, we were doing all the writing. So basically we would write the blog posts or we would write the story. And we just said, okay, editorial is going to do the story story. And we're going to do sort of the behind the scenes. And that's what the community team will focus on. It's really interesting how you had to be like an all-rounder. Like you need to be skilled in almost every department before you make it to your dream job, which is quite interesting. Like in any other industry as well, especially in the arts, before you can make it to your dream job, you have to do all the scut work. You have to do all the other bits before they put you into the spotlight where you get to really showcase who you are. Hearing this from you, it's like a really huge reality check. Not gonna lie, it's like a really big reality check. And part of my head is like in my head, it's like, holy Toledo, if I wanted to like work for Club Penguin, if I want to be like their programmer or writer or whatever i have to do all the community support first it, well not necessarily like I, I you can't you can't exclude luck right so i mean there's luck and then there's sweat equity like if i look at marketing as an example as an industry or a career path or whatever the people who i would look to hire as marketing people these days are the ones who have built their own stuff you know they've gone out and they've just they haven't asked anybody's permission they've just made something the people who who get ahead are the ones who have something to say and they can refer to this is the work that I've done and this was the result of my work, right? And that's what you got to do is just get out there and do stuff. The reason I could get into Club Penguin and move up in Club Penguin was, you know, in addition to the luck, I had something that I could refer to. I had a portfolio. So I had already done a whole bunch of music writing um, I'd had PR firms pitching to me so that they could get their band featured and start to get press for them. Um, I was running a blog. Like, all of these things I could refer to in my professional career. I just want to encourage you guys to take action for yourself. It's really cool. Like, I really like your advice. It's like, because as of right now, getting a job is hard, especially in the arts, especially due to the pandemic. And you're here, like, saying, like, you really have to work hard and show what you've got. You have to, like show them how committed you are and everything show you know just showcase yourself and it's just like it's probably one of the best career advice i heard of yes the industry especially the tech arts industry is kind of you know there's not a lot going on due to current world events but it's really interesting to hear your advice as not only as someone who has worked who worked in a job where a lot of fans were like oh i wish i would work there but also as you know, as someone who's already a parent. It's interesting because I, I, I do, I try not to be too much of a dad, but I mean, ultimately I'm a dad, right? So, I, you know, the and the Club Penguin community is like, I just see it as a bunch of players that are my, my kids' age, right? So it's, I've got a 21-year-old, I have a 17-year-old, and I have a two-year-old, right? And so like, to me, I just go, you know, the Club Penguin community, I just, I just see... You know, I, I I will always have their back because I feel a little bit parental about the community. So. so now let's talk about like the 
oddness, like the rumors that we hear in Club Penguin, like at least in the building, sort of just like small rumors and small curiosity that I and probably other people had. So the first question is, is it really true that Sir Pirate would wear a pirate costume every single day? <laughs> is, is that the rumor that like we see the videos mate like i saw like the harlem shake parody and the medieval party parody, like the medieval promo and we just see sir pirate in a costume all the time and we're just like is this is this is like a thing right like he is, is he really wearing the costume every single day well those guys are awesome because i love those guys the twins are amazing like so when when we were making videos i mean that man that was some of my my favorite times because you know we always knew we could go we could count on the twins to have a cool outfit that we could do something fun with and be like hey guys can you dress up like you know it was always fun to have someone who'd be willing to just dress up silly and be thrown into a video for us, right? So when we were making videos, it was like, hey, can we throw you in a pirate costume again? Throw you in the video? Yes. Can, we, can you be a pirate for this video? Yes. It was, you know, he was always willing. So, yeah, it's great. And I mean, honestly, like, those guys came up with Captain Rockhopper, right? Like, they, they love pirates. I remember when I first joined, like, they were obsessed with this one board game. I can't remember the name of it. I was like, I was going to say Puzzle Pirates, something like that. There's some game that they were playing where you're making boats with, you'd get the trading cards and then you'd bust up the trading cards and you'd make an actual physical boat out of it. They're super cool. I just remember being really struck by the twins. Like, they're just, they're fun. Like, they're some of the heart of Club Penguin. Um, I love those guys. They're awesome. Wait, so Sir Pirate created Captain Rockhopper. Are you sure this is not just Sir Pirate self-insert that he just did? Was like, oh, I want to make my, myself a personified canon character in the Club Penguin universe. <laughs> no, he's, he's good that way. I mean, you can kind of tell when people tried to insert themselves into Club Penguin and force themselves in there. You know, he didn't do that at all. He was quite cool. Like, like what we really wanted to do was make every player the hero of the story. And then really everything around it, like Rockhopper, etc., those are all supporting characters. They're either a mentor, some of them are villains, some of them are, you know, getting in the way of your progress. They're, they all play a role, but you'll notice that none of them are taking the hero position. And the reason for that is because to us, the players were the heroes, right? Like, we didn't want to take away from the experience of playing the story and you being the lead character of the story. Ah. So... What is your favorite moment when you were working for Club Penguin? Mm. Well, I'm a highly adaptable person. So when you're asking me that question, <laughs> that's a tough one. It's almost like the flavor of the month because we had a lot of good moments. But you have well, to pick one. You have to pick one. What is the most, like, out of everything, what do you think has to be the most memorable moment that you cherish throughout your years of working there i have a lot of fun memories like i remember like there's there's the three characters that we came up with for our internal wiki so we needed a wiki to keep track of everything so we early on we came up with these characters to be the mascot of the homepage of the wiki so it's the ice3 so we came up with the internal community encyclopedia ice and in ice i was like i want a mascot for ice so we came up with three unique characters for that. I wanted, like, three hip-hop stars. So we picked, like, uh, one of the guys from Kid and Play, another guy from Run DMC, and because it wasn't going to be seen by anybody else. And uh, who's the other one? Oh, I think uh, one of the guys from Public Enemy. We wanted, like, some, like, real cool hip-hop guys. 
So we made the, the ICE-3. And the one guy has a shirt that says Donuts. And that was actually inspired by when I first joined the team. We, we would nickname the different tables of community support people. So we had a table of us, and we were Team Donuts. And so we, we just... It was just silliness. We had a bunch of people that were just, it was fun to be together. It was unified claps and just a lot of kind of team camaraderie stuff that just ended up kind of finding its way into either the game or into internally what we did. Like, I remember when Rick Rolling was a thing. 2008, it was hilarious because we had like an internal community sort of intranet where we would talk to each other. And I remember I was like, oh yeah, I was working with uh, Skaboots. And I was like, oh, we should, we should like, put out some sort of like we should rickroll the entire company so we decided we got together and we decided to put, to do that so i came up with a fake uh, disney press release url that was like disney acquires webkins and so i made this like disney press release url and when you clicked on it it went to the and so i rickrolled the entire company with the um and then she sent it out through a bunch of channels too. So we basically just kept rickrolling everyone in the team. It was great. Wait, so that did that email reach like Lance or Lane or? Uh... Yeah, yeah, it was across all of our company stuff. We just blasted it everywhere. I was like, whatever. If I get in trouble, it's fine. I'll deal with it. Did everyone like it? I have no idea. Probably, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Whatever. So what? What made you decide to leave Club Penguin? Like, what made you decide? to close the book and go find a new chapter in your life? I was quite burnt out. Like by the end, I was going through a divorce. It took me like quite a few years. It was quite painful. So like the last few years when I was at Penguin, I was not at my best. I was I was tired. You know, I just, I was going through this divorce that was really dragging me down. And because of that, it just, I just really wasn't performing at my best. And it's just, I was tired and I wasn't, I wasn't doing that well. So I just was like, you know what? I, I knew that I needed to change. I knew that they were going to change the team anyways. So I knew it was just sort of a, it's kind of just a mutual thing. People say, oh, Chris, you were the community manager. But it's like only for a very short period of time was I the community manager, really. In between all that, I was managing team, right? And trying to do my best to support team members and the community. So yeah, near the end of it, it was just, I was tired. I just needed a change. Yeah, I, I was looking for work near the end, right? So I just was like, I, I know that I need a change. And sometimes a change is as good as a break. And it's been good. I mean, honestly, like, if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have had all of the experience in between there that I've had, right? I wouldn't have started a company. I wouldn't have tried all the different new things that, you know, it, it, within Penguin, I wouldn't have tried. So I've worked with different mobile games companies. I've worked with you know, e-commerce companies. I've worked with healthcare companies. I've worked with a bunch of different companies that are all quite different. It's strange because they all don't, they're all completely unrelated, but then you learn something about how to do something for a, you know, a different industry because you, you, your headspace is just freed up, you know? So if I were going into work on Club Penguin now or something like Box Critters, I would come at it a completely different angle than I would have before. What makes a good community manager? Mm. Uh, well, the first thing is empathy. Uh, second thing is listening. So empathy is, uh, you know, first off, you really care about people. Um, and that can be really, really hard because if people are furious at you or furious at the brand or the product or whatever, and you 
are trying to like bridge the gap between a player and the brand, that can be actually quite challenging emotionally. Like one of the things that was really challenging for me was, you know, I was in between, like I essentially went anytime anyone was angry about anything to do with Club Penguin, they would be just throwing hate at me. You're taking punches to the face from players and you're taking punches to the face from the team. And it gets a bit tiring at the time, you know? So you kind of have to have develop a thick skin as a community manager, I would say. The other thing is have fun. I mean, if you look at what the Fall Guys community manager did, he's awesome. You know, he's just, he's like, why don't we just have fun? I think having fun is really underrated. And then listening, being curious, right? So making sure that when people have feedback, that you're keeping track of it. I can't even tell you the number of notes that I've kept. Like, you know, I would read as many fan blogs as I could. I would read as many tweets as I could. I would read every YouTube comment. I would read it all. I'd read people's fan blogs. I'd read what they say. Like, and I would keep track of that for the team. You know, that's that's what I would spend my time doing. And it just it's it's a lot to take in. So you have to be able to take in a lot of information as well. Um, I think the biggest thing that is helpful is having a tool where you can actually like document and digest snapshots and examples of things where you can go, okay, this seems to be a a recurring trend. Like you're looking for patterns. You're saying, okay, this person, this person, and this person all in different ways described this problem. Like let's take, for example, one that drove me nuts was when we decided to blow up the size of pins to be basically double the size of the penguin. Like the pins in Penguin for a while were just massive. And I was like, I don't know why. I totally agree with the community. I don't know why they're so massive. Okay, now I have to somehow bring that feedback back to the team. And, you know, they have to hear it in a way that's not going to hurt their feelings. You know, you're not saying like, your work sucks, but hey, we should consider doing this because it does actually feel like it's taking away the fun. Yeah, like I remember the the pins back in the day it was like, you know, you it's it's a challenge to find them and you get rewarded and eventually later on it's somehow oddly easier to find, which I don't mind. I was like in really early high school, but it was also like, ah, huh, that was easy. So it's like hand holding in a bit. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think that the challenge for us as a team is when you start to think about Penguin as a like kids game. I think it does it a huge disservice. I know for me, I know for Lance, to us, it's not a kid's game. Like, we treat it like a Mario. Nintendo doesn't look at Mario like, oh, how do we make a kid's game? You know, they just go, how do we make the most fun for the most people? You know, and so I think sometimes the team was like, okay, well, we got to make sure that we're looking at the stats and not enough people found the pins. We need to make it easier to find. Okay, make it bigger. Like, sometimes when you look at, at math and you don't actually think about the human side of the math, you know, it leads you to decisions that are not the best, you know? So what is your reaction when you hear fans say, oh my gosh, I wish I was working for Club Penguin? Well, I wish I could employ employ as many of the fans as I possibly could. For up to me, I would love to just hire a ton of fans and be like, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do this, let's go. Let's go make a a great game together. Is it rude when fans say, oh my gosh, I wish I was working for Club Penguin even when the game ends? Well, the problem is, like, it's not, it's, you know, it's owned by someone. You can't just, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't exist now. So, I mean, really putting your energy into that. Right now, it's just a nostalgia brand at this point. It's like, okay, well, it's not around, so we're just reflecting on our memories of it. 
Is there any final words you'd like to say to the community, to former Club Penguin staff, current box creator staff, or just anyone in general? Get it out there. Start making your own portfolio of your own ideas. Go and make something for yourselves. And I know a lot of you are already doing that anyways, but if you ever want help with that, I'm more than happy to help give you suggestions and advice. And I guess also just really thank you for bothering to listen to me talking to <laughs> talking on this podcast. If you took the time, I hope it was in any way interesting to you. I have to say that you are the best community manager that Club Penguin ever had, in my honest opinion. Well, well, thank you. I mean, I, I don't know if I deserve that honor, but I, I, I appreciate the kind words. Outside my interview with Chris, I told him that I didn't feel worthy to have him as a guest in my podcast since I looked up to him and his work back when I was younger and I felt like I was going to disappoint him. But then he tells me that he's been watching us interact in the virtual world and social media, that he's the one who should be worthy to be on this podcast. Speaking to Chris just gave me more insight on what it's like working for a company that I, as a child, was willing to strive hard for. But in the end, at least we get to hear the stories and some advice on how to achieve your dreams and reach your goals. I'd like to thank Chris Glidden for joining me. It's been such a huge honor, and I hope we get to speak again sometime soon. My name is Ariel, and this has been another episode of Never Have I Ever. There are more topics and other missed out experiences I still have to cover. So until then, I hope you'd stick around for the next one. Heads up though, there's going to be a short break, so don't expect new episodes for a week or two. So while waiting, feel free to listen to an earlier episode of Never Have I Ever or my other podcast, Casual Nerds with Matt, over on YouTube, Spotify, and other podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.